Bill, we're going to look at a video that uh, interacts with some of your work. And there's some good friends who have commented on some of your teaching, some of your work. Uh, in the meantime, before we get into that, I want to know how the writing is going. Yes, I'm working on my systematic philosophical theology. Uh, I'm on the doctrine of God, and I have now begun to actually write on divine simplicity. Uh, there was an enormous amount of literature just to be read, Kevin, on this subject. But now I am actually um, writing, and I have begun this section by looking at the biblical grounds for the doctrine of divine simplicity, uh, and then looking at the doctrine historically and showing how different figures in the history of the church have actually held quite different doctrines of divine simplicity, so that it's something of a misnomer to speak of the doctrine of divine simplicity. Uh, mm -hmm. One should really speak of it in the plural. And the William Lane Craig Center. Well, we are now uh, to the stage where we are in private conversations with different educational institutions in negotiations to try to affiliate the center with one of these. And obviously, I can't disclose the content of those conversations, um, but we pray that something good will come out of at least one of them. Uh, and that we will find an institution that wants to affiliate with the center. And in the meantime, uh, part of our sustaining donor campaign this spring goes toward the costs of building this center, of paying for the company that is uh, in charge of uh, these negotiations. If anyone is interested in donating, please do, because this is going to reach future generations. And you can do that when you go to reasonablefaith.org. And Bill, I'm glad you mentioned uh, divine simplicity, because that's what we're going to talk about today. All and, right. Uh, this is from uh, a video from the podcast from Southern Evangelical Seminary in Charlotte. Adam Tucker and Dr. Brian Huffling are talking about divine simplicity, interacting with you. They mentioned a couple of things. First of all, they mentioned that you were on a panel discussion a while back discussing this topic. Yes, that's right. I think Richard Howe was on that panel, uh, who is a professor at Southern. Bill, another thing that they said, and, and this was a long video, so we've cut it down. Uh, bear with us. We will go through these clips and then make sure that, uh, that everything is covered, but we have edited it down to get to the main thing. One of the things that they said was that divine simplicity is important because it's an act of worship to contemplate the attributes of God. And so it's not just a side doctrine. It's to know God more fully, and that is an act of worship. Well, actually, that's a very interesting uh, claim because hmm. on a strong doctrine of divine simplicity, it's become clear to me that simplicity is not really an attribute of God at all. Rather, it is a, a formal claim about God, namely that God has no composition in him, uh, and, and therefore he has no specific attributes like omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, holiness, or simplicity itself. If God had the attribute of simplicity, 
he wouldn't be simple. That would be one of his many properties. So those who hold to a strong doctrine of simplicity don't really regard it as an attribute of God. It's rather the denial that God has any uh, composition, uh, including a composition of different attributes. Mm, yeah. Well, that's a good clarification, Bill, I mean, because uh, I think what I'm getting at is that, uh, and, and they may be getting at it as well, is that when you contemplate God, uh, mm -hmm. some things you just have to kind of meditate on. <laughs> you can't fully comprehend it. And, and they uh -huh. see, and, and that can be perhaps an act of worship or to worship God more fully. Well, I have to say, Kevin, that I haven't watched this entire video and so I'm reacting to these things out of context, and I would uh, want folks to understand that. So sure. I was focusing on what you said with regard to its being an attribute. Yes. Um, yes. But with respect to, to worship, uh, I think that while it might lead you to a sort of mystical approach to God, where God is incomprehensible, and beyond intelligibility, I don't see that as really worshipful. I, I think that that kind of mysticism may be characteristic of certain Eastern religions, which think of God as absolutely simple and without any differentiation or properties, but I don't see that as being worthy of worship. I, I, I think that a God who is possessed of perfections like omnipotence and omniscience and holiness and goodness and all the rest is worthy of worship. And while he is incomprehensible in the sense that we cannot fully comprehend God, nevertheless, I think that we do have biblically a good idea of many of God's essential attributes. And so any view that would deny that God has these essential attributes, it seems to me, is not worshipful. It may be mystical, but I don't think that it's um, something that Christians should uh, engage in. Let's go to this first clip then, Bill, from Adam and Brian. And if at any point that you want to interrupt, I'll hit pause. But uh, here's our first clip. Okay. Uh, Dr. William Lane Craig is perhaps the most popular Christian apologist and philosopher today, and of course, he's a dear brother in Christ. Ironically, however, uh, he rejects some of the most foundational aspects about the nature of God upon which classical theism, at least, rests. I want to comment on this label, classical theism, because that's a code word among the proponents of divine simplicity for Thomism, and we shouldn't be fooled by it. One of the things that my study has disclosed is that the church fathers, whom I think we would want to call classical theists, didn't hold to the doctrine of divine simplicity and its full strength that Thomas Aquinas articulated in the 13th century. So, we shouldn't think that um, Thomism is accurately characterized as classical theism. Okay, continuing then. The simplicity of God 
And then we'll get a little bit into uh, God's knowledge about the future. And what, if any, are the implications of, of thinking wrongly about these issues? Okay, that's the first clip there, Bill. And we will continue. But we've put a lot of emphasis specifically on simplicity and, and how these attributes uh, are like dominoes. And, and, right. and they stand or fall together, right? So if it's as important... <laughs> as we claim that it is, uh, it, it seems odd that someone of Dr. William Lane Craig's stature would deny something like simplicity. And uh, I know you and Dr. Howe have had the privilege of, of speaking with him. So you guys have interacted with him directly on this yeah. specific issue. Okay. I don't think he should be surprised. What I'll hold to is biblical theism. And the Bible is very clear in ascribing to God different properties or attributes, such as the ones that I've mentioned. And I think that implicit in the teaching of the New Testament, moreover, is that God is three persons, that um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all distinct persons. So we can all agree that God is simple in a sort of innocuous uh, modest sense, namely God is not composed of more fundamental or separable parts. Of course, um, God isn't going to fall apart like a bag full of marbles with a hole in it. Um, God is not composed of parts uh, that can be separated. So God is indivisible or indissoluble. And if that's all you mean by simplicity, then it's unobjectionable. Uh, but these uh, Thomist theologians have a much, much different doctrine of divine simplicity, at the center of which, Kevin, is the claim that God is identical to the pure act of being, that God's essence is just to exist. Uh, this is almost incomprehensible, but that is the claim that whereas in the case of every other being, their essence is distinct from their existence, in the case of God, his essence just is the act of being. He just is to exist. Um, and that's a very, very strong claim that goes far beyond anything that the Bible teaches. So it shouldn't be surprising that most Christian theologians today deny it. This is all based on a question of the week and then your response. Do you think he's fair in his... Yeah, I think he's fair as far as he describes the view. Uh -huh. I don't think he's very fair with the implications of the view. Maybe you'll get with that on, the, on that uh, issue in a minute, so I don't want to jump the gun. But in, in terms of how he describes what Thomistic... Uh, metaphysics looks like and how that plays into simplicity, I think is fair on that point. Just in, in a, a summary format, what is the essence-existence distinction? Okay, so when we talk about existence for, for Aquinas and, and a lot of Thomas, it's almost a common sense view of, well, if something exists, if it's real, and to be real in this sense means that it's mind independent. So if I picked up a pen uh, from my desk, and I say this pen is real because the pen is it is actually there in, in existence, and we, it, it's just, it has its own being, in other words. We can talk about things, though, that seem to have a, a kind of reality that are not 
real in the same sense as the pen, like, for example, a leprechaun. We can talk about a leprechaun existing in the mind, for example, but it doesn't mean that it is there like the pen is. So we can talk about the essence of what it means to be a leprechaun, and then we can talk about the essence of what it means to be a pen. But to know the essence of a leprechaun doesn't tell you whether it exists. It doesn't have necessary existence. So we can talk about leprechauns or fairies or, or whatever. So I can say what a leprechaun or I can use the word leprechaun or, or unicorn. And people know what that means. But that doesn't mean that it exists. And so that distinction is, okay, well, we can discuss essence separate from existence then, in other words. Comments, Dr. Craig? My only comment would be that this uh, distinction between the thing's essence and its existence is drawn from Aristotle. And in Aristotle, this is a conceptual distinction. You can conceive of the, of the nature essence of something without knowing whether there is such a thing. But for Thomists, this is not simply a conceptual distinction. It is a metaphysical distinction. Thomas hold to what's called a constituent ontology, where things are made up of ontological parts. And for the Thomist, all creaturely things are composed of essence and existence. And these are metaphysical parts of the thing. And the claim then is that in God, there is no such composition of essence and existence. God just is existence subsisting without any sort of limiting or restricting essence to this or that kind of thing. So that's the real bedrock metaphysically of this view is, is there merely a conceptual or is there a real distinction between essence and existence. All right. Continuing to the next clip. And so things that actually exist other than God, things that are, are finite, have both a nature and actually exist. But because their existence isn't necessary, because they don't have to exist, they're, they're separate. And Thomas, as Craig points out, wants to make not only a conceptual difference, and there is a conceptual difference, but there's also a real distinction that, that Aquinas talks about. That is between the pen or you and I and our, our actual existence. Because if, if there's no difference, then the very nature of the thing would be such that it exists necessarily. Well, God can be that, but nothing else would exist necessarily in, in, a, in a finite way or it, would, it wouldn't need a cause. It would, then it wouldn't be finite. It would be a contradiction. And, and as we've said on previous shows, uh, the difference with God is that his essence just is to exist. Right. His nature be. itself is being. So our nature is, itself is not being. So we we can lose our being. We can change. We didn't have being, quote unquote, until we were you know conceived. So yeah, these things go together. Um, my, my my analogy really is is like Legos. You got these different parts, and so yeah, my son really likes Legos. Knighted too. So they got this little Lego thing here, right? This little dog. If I can get in there. Well, you got to have these different parts put together by something else. Well, we can think of two of those parts as being essence and existence. Mm -hmm. Now, existence isn't a thing like God walks over and grabs a bucket full of existence. That's right. not what I mean at all. But uh, we can think of it in those kind of those kind of categories. Legos and unicorns, Bill. There, there you've heard exactly what we were talking about. The presupposition is that the distinction between essence and existence is a metaphysical one so that creatures are like those Lego parts. 
that have these two ontological constituents that make them up, their essence and their existence or act of being, whereas in God, he has no essence. He's just the pure act of being, subsisting. And so that's the controversial metaphysical claim. And Thomas says nothing to justify this idea of a real distinction between essence and existence. Okay. A couple more clips. We can't know anything positive about God. I pretty much agree with that. I think Thomas would too. But Thomas himself would disagree that we can't say positive things about God or that when we, quote unquote, see God in the beatific vision, that we're not learning anything about it. This is where I said the implications, I don't think, are very fair. And Craig said other things like in his time and eternity, that if simplicity is true, then God can't cause things because there's no relationship there because that would be an accident and that would make him not simple. Um, he says that God can't know or love. These are things that Aquinas clearly thinks that God does and can do and also be simple. So there, there are a lot of things I agree with with what Bill said there. For example, yeah, we are left with a great deal of agnosticism. And that's going to be the case, I think, with any view of God, because we're, we're finite beings and we're talking about an infinite being. Well, there's no, no way even in principle, by definition, we're going to be able to understand an infinite being with our finite minds. So Thomism or no Thomism, simplicity or no simplicity, we're not going to be able to comprehend all of God. So at some point in some way, there's going to be some level of agnosticism, which is, I mean, we, we don't know everything there is to know about God, not about his existence, but about his nature. While I appreciate his candor, I think that the attempt to avoid the charge of agnosticism about God's nature by saying that we're all committed to a degree of agnosticism is completely overblown. Um, I think that we have uh, a good, accurate knowledge of many of God's essential properties and therefore know what God is. But on Thomism, you cannot know what God is. You cannot know his nature, even in part. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One reason is that the way in which we grasp things like the pen that he mentioned or the unicorn is that we grasp their essence and we understand their essential properties, what they are. But with God, you see, he doesn't have any essence other than his pure act of being, which is incomprehensible. It cannot be rationally grasped. And that's why all that's available would be that sort of mystical experience, which is non-cognitive. But I think on a biblical view of God, we do have an accurate, if incomplete, knowledge of God's nature, what he is like. And I think this is the most objectionable thing I find about Thomism is the profound agnosticism about who or what God is that it leads to. Now, in terms of the claim that God does not cause things, love things, or know things, that's not an objection. That's Thomism. That's what Thomas Aquinas affirms. You see, he says that God stands in no real relations to the world, and therefore he is not related to things really as cause to effect, knower to known, 
lover to loved. Rather, these relations exist only in creatures. Thomas's paradoxical doctrine is that while creatures are effects of God, God is not the cause of creatures. While creatures are known by God, God does not know creatures. While creatures are beloved of God, God does not love creatures. These uh, properties or relations exist only in the creatures themselves. And I think this is a paradoxical doctrine that mm. is, is not only unbiblical, but incomprehensible. And it has a very, very negative consequence that is usually goes under the uh, label, the modal collapse argument or objection. What is the modal collapse objection? It is that if all of God's knowledge and causal activity is essential to him, if God has no contingent properties, but everything that he knows, does, is essential to him, then that means that this is the only possible world, that God could not have done anything different. He could not have known anything different. And so since God knows every true proposition, that means that every true proposition is necessarily true. There is no world, no possible world in which that proposition is false, because then God would have different knowledge than he does. And so this doctrine leads to a modal collapse that implies logical fatalism, that everything that happens, happens necessarily. I do want to add one final thing, and it's a bit of an irony. I mentioned that Thomism holds to a constituent ontology where things have metaphysical parts, and so they're composed. I reject a constituent ontology. Uh, I don't think there are such things as metaphysical parts. So, for example, if the dog is brown, I don't think that brownness is an ontological constituent of the dog. If an elephant is big, I don't think that bigness is an ontological constituent of the elephant. I think there's a brown dog and a big elephant, but I don't think that there's something brownness or bigness that is a metaphysical part of those animals. So in a sense, I actually affirm simplicity. Uh, in contrast to the Thomist, I don't believe in ontological constituents. And so the difference between me and the Thomist in that respect is that I think that everything is simple, not just God. Nothing has these sort of metaphysical parts. Uh, but that doesn't prevent us from having a true and accurate knowledge of brown dogs, big elephants, and an omnipotent, omniscient, holy, and eternal God. This is the-